Hey, thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter, encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. Good morning, everyone. Do you have the joy of the Lord this morning, friends? You know, when I was growing up in church, I hated that question. <laughs> like, yes, whatever you want to say, I'll say it. But you know that joy is different than happiness. Happiness comes from happenings. And what God wants us to have is joy based on Him. Because how many of you know He's consistent? You're not going to have joy based on world circumstances. Because world circumstances are going to be crazy and they will continue to be crazy. But we can have joy. Why? Because God doesn't change. He is the rock of our salvation. So we can actually have the joy of the Lord. And this is why the enemy wants us to get our eyes off of God. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if the enemy can get us focused on things that are up and down changing crazy, then we lose out on our strength. So again, I'm going to ask you to say, do you have the joy of the Lord today? Amen. All right. Um, at the end of the message today, for everybody that is at home, we're actually going to be receiving communion together today. So if you're at home today, go ahead and grab some elements. I know the kitchen is not too far from wherever you are, and we'll be partaking at the end of the message today for everybody in the room. Uh, you'll just have to watch me this morning and pray with me, but we actually have some elements for you to take home. Um, we recommend that you receive communion after you get today. When you get home, maybe rewatch the service, and the part of the service you can pray with us, or just do it as a family, that would be great, and we will have that for you. So everybody at home, run to the kitchen, but come back. You want to miss the rest of the message. We know you're already eating breakfast as you watch this, but go ahead and get some communion elements as well. All right, we are in week six of the series that we have called My Revival. And so far um, in this series, we have talked about a revival of Thanksgiving, uh, revival prayers, the gospel, we've talked about hope, and then last week we talked about faith in action. And the goal throughout all of this series, as we have been talking about, as we've been launching um, our city groups this fall, uh, our small groups, um, for you to get into a group so that you as an individual can be revived, um, uncover some things that were maybe covered up or some uh, dry places in your heart, something that you were super excited about in God a while ago and maybe got dried up or some circumstances happened, that we all can experience revival. But we don't want to leave that revival just in our hearts and just in our lives. We actually want to move that into the context of relationship because we can inspire one another and we can help one another. Even just Cynthia's testimony this morning as she was singing and she shared about her dad passing away. See, really, we just got all brought into a small, really big city group this morning. Just somebody sharing what's going on in their life and then how she journeyed through that grief. And she's continuing to journey through that grief. And that's what church is all about, friends. Church is a really big family. Um, in a big family, um, older people are going to pass away and then we're going to be there for each other. And then new babies are going to be born and we're going to celebrate. And, and sometimes we're going to lose jobs and then some people are going to get promotions. And in all of that, we can be family. We can celebrate the highs of highs and then we can be there for each other and with each other in the valley. And that's what community family is all about. And that's why we've been wanting you to get in. Yeah, you can go ahead and clap for that. 
That's why we're wanting you to get into a city group, not just so we can have big numbers in our city groups, because relationships are so very important. I feel like that's one of our lessons of 2020. Being separated and distant from people is not good. It's not good for your health in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We need each other, and we can inspire each other, and we can sharpen each other, and that's why we want you to get. So it's not too late. I know a bunch of our groups have already launched, but you can still get into a group, or if you're still thinking about it, you can be a leader in our next session as well. So we've been talking about revival, and we've been... If we look back throughout church history, we can see revivals, awakenings, or renewal. And one of the markers, or many of the markers that we would see from revival is the unconverted come to Christ. And the converted are shaken out of their spiritual lethargy. It's marked by prayer, personal transformation, the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal experiences, a move to personal holiness, an increased interest in Bible teaching, and out of revivals we see churches are being planted, universities established, Christian camps are established. And we can see all of these markers throughout history um, when certain revivals happened, famous revivals happened in the context of church. And what happened is with all of these revivals that we would look back, there would be big gatherings. People would gather in under tents or in open air places or in stadiums or fill churches a bunch of times a week. And right now, we can't do really big, huge gatherings, but what I would contend and what I would say is that God and Jesus are not up, uh, up there in heaven with the Holy Spirit saying, well, I guess we can't move because governments say this, and I, can't, I guess we can't move and do something in people's lives because we can only gather in this many, uh, with this many people. You know, God is not waiting for permission from governments to say that he can move in your life, that we can be revived as individuals. And what I would say about revival, that the purpose of any and every revival throughout history so that it would move beyond the walls of the church, that if it's only good inside this room, it is no good. And it's not, it shouldn't just be marked by what happens in church services. So many people throughout history just have affinity for how church services are run, and they think that's the totality of their Christianity. But us sitting in a row and worshiping, that's part of what we do. And us sitting and learning, that's part of what we do. But then we need to go live it out. We need to go and affect the world. We need to go and affect change. We need to go and affect people's lives. Why? Because God has revived us. That God has done something on the inside of us so that we can take revival out to the world. Can I get an amen? I'm enjoying this already so far. Uh, the word revive means to live again, to come to life, to come alive. Now, the very first week of this series, I talked about how my wife forced me to go out to our front yard and to rake up the dry ground in our front yard. We have a very small front yard, but I had to go up there and rake it and, and, and disturb the dry ground because she wanted to put some dirt and some new grass seeds so that our front lawn could be revived. And here we are six weeks later and our lawn looks pretty good, doesn't it, babe? I just want to take all credit for that. <laughs> it wasn't my idea. I just did the work. <laughs> so the question is for us, can we experience revival? Even though we can't gather in really huge crowds, can we still be revived? And then can I be a revival? Can God revive me as an individual? 
Romans chapter 6, verse 3 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Connected, identifying with Jesus that the resurrection would actually have meaning in our lives, and that's what revival is all about. Isaiah 57, verse 14 says that, and it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the hearts of the contrite. What does that just mean? It means the humble. Those of us that know that we need to be revived, and all of us in the room this morning and everybody watching online, we all need to be revived. There, there's, there's no part of our life that, that every part of our life is not perfect that God wants to do something new in us. He wants to, uh, for us to experience his resurrection. And what do we have to do? We have to come in with a humble heart. Because if we don't have a humble heart, we just think we have it all together. We've, we've got it all figured out. I'm doing everything perfectly. I'm saying everything perfect. All my relationships are perfect, which isn't true. So there's a lack of humility there. But what is God going to do? God's going to revive the lowly in heart. They can come humbly and say, God, change me. So the markers for us of revival is a willingness to be changed, not going to stay the same. And then this, so important, what you know now is not all that you need to know. What you know right now and how you think right now is not all the ways that you have to think and all of the things that you need to know. That when we come to God, he is going to increase our knowledge of him. He's going to increase uh, our knowledge of how life should be lived. So we can't stop and think, I've got it all figured out. I know this right now, and I, this is all I need to know. No, there's an increase. There's an increase of knowledge that God wants to give to all of us. And then finally, I can always rely on God in a greater measure, which is faith, which we talked about last week. So as we finish off today, we're just going to talk about Jesus, and as we celebrate communion at the end, that we all need to revive or increase our love for Jesus. And, and this seems like a very Christian thing to say, because it is, but it's also a very important thing for us to think about, because we live in a world, and, and our, our affections can be pulled a thousand different ways. But this love that's necessary for us to have for the Savior, to have for God himself, is something that needs to be revived constantly in our hearts. See, we see over and over again in the scripture the illustration uh, with Israel and then with the church uh, that our, our relationship with God is like a marriage, this loving marriage that God wants to have with the church. That, that we are the bride and he's the bridegroom and he, he sacrifices himself. He has sacrificed himself for the church. He has shown us his love to the nth degree. 
And he's wanting us to be in a mutual, mutually loving relationship, a mutually loving marriage, a life-giving marriage with our relationship with God. And this is how God wants us to engage in life, from this place. Square one, what's our starting place with, with God? Well, he loves us unconditionally, and then he invites us to love him back, to be in this relationship with him. And he always went first. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him, the, glo the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Verse 18, let's read it again. But grow in the grace. In other words, i got to change. I have to increase my thinking. It can't stay the same. i got to increase my reliance on God. i got to add to my thinking. I'm going to grow in this. And then what do I need to grow in? The knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These two designations that, that we say that, we, that roll off our tongue, we know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Yes, he's my Lord and Savior. But these two very important things are, are so meaningful in our relationship with God. They're not just two empty words. Two very important words as we think about who Jesus is to us. And our love for Jesus needs to be revived. First thing, what is the first thing? Jesus, our Lord. Now, C.S. Lewis famously uh, talked about Jesus. And, you know, the, the, uh, the idea that we would think about Jesus is that he, he just can't, you can't think of Jesus as like your personal assistant. You know, the King of kings and Lord of lords and the, the one that God sent to die for you, you can't think, well, you know, I, he's the one that, that when I need stuff, I'll send Jesus to go do it. You can't put Jesus in that category. He's not your personal assistant. He is your Lord. And C.S. Lewis said it like this. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. That what he taught, he, he lied about, because what he taught about was being the son of God. Either that, or he's just a megalomaniac. He's got super big ego, and so he's just a lunatic. Or, because of the resurrection, we would look at him and say, oh, what he said and what he taught and then what he predicted about himself actually came to pass. So the only place that he actually deserves in our lives is that lordship place, not my personal assistant. Not, not somebody who would then speak to me and I, well, I'll think about it. You know, I, I'm, I'm such and such years old, and I know you, you, you are the Lord of all eternity, and so I'll, I'll just think about what you would say. No, lordship is a whole different type of place. And this is his designation, that he is the Lord of our lives. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is not our personal assistant. And this necessary description for me in relationship to him that I am a disciple and he is my Lord. He is the one who's teaching me and helping me to understand about my life. And see, this is the, the thing that we would see about Jesus that always made the Pharisees and the religious people of the time very angry and very mad. That Jesus would refer, refer to God as Father, which is the ultimate guidance, the ultimate teacher, the ultimate mentor. And then we would say this about Jesus, that he is actually our king. 
The Pharisees struggled with this notion how Jesus talked about God relationally with God. And we see this here in John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, in the scriptures themselves, you think you're just in the scripture, just in, in, just in the words. You think you have eternal life. But then he said, the whole of the scripture is actually talking about me. All of the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus coming. And then he says this, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And I say this so important, and I'm never going to stop saying it. Jesus didn't come to give us religion. Jesus come, came to give us abundant life. Wants us to experience life as it's intended to be lived. And then he says this, I do not receive glory from my people, for I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So this is irritating the Pharisees. All of what Jesus is saying is irritating the Pharisees. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Do, do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. Now, this drove them crazy because this is what they would say to Jesus. Well, you know, you say this, but we're with Moses. And then Jesus is saying to them, Moses is accusing you on whom you have set your hope. But if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus, this is how Jesus wants us to read the scripture. Not just ideas and principles disassociated from the personality of God. But in every way, God is mentoring us with his word. He's discipling us with his word and with his ways and with his principles and with his promises. And this is what Jesus said about the scripture, that when we go to the scripture, that I'm actually sitting down and Jesus is mentoring me, teaching me how to live. And this should do away with boring Bible reading. That I'm not just sitting down with ideas. I'm sitting down with the Lord. I'm sitting down with the one who loves me the most. I'm sitting down with the one to whom I'm ultimately married. That had invited me into this love relationship. And he wants to speak to me. And he wants to show me how to live. He wants to give me life. I heard one pastor say this last week, and I, I thought it was so important. You can't just desire to accept the sacrifice of Jesus and neglect his instructions. You can't be just like, hey, you know, I really want to miss hell. So Jesus is my Lord. But from now until that moment that I'm with you, I'm just going to do my own thing. Are we good with that, Jesus? I just want your sacrifice, but I want to neglect everything that you say. Would that work in a marriage? Any married people say, hey, we're just gonna, we're gonna meet at the altar, and then I just wanna die married. That's all, that's all my desire. I'm gonna 
profess my love for you, but that, it, you know, we're, we're not going to be together, and we're not going to have you children together, we're not going to live our lives together, we would say, uh, what's the point? See, the, the lordship of Jesus in our lives is not just so we can spend eternity with him. Thank God for that. Wouldn't you agree? Thank God for that. But it is the journey of the relationship that he invites us to. That's what a marriage is. We're going to be together that he is our mentor, that he is our Lord. See, the scriptures give us life. And the question is, what are we searching for when we go to the scriptures? Are we just looking for for ways that people are sinning so we can be mad at them? Or are we looking for life? Are we just looking for rules and laws? You know, I had, um, (laughs) over the years, people say funny things to you. And... um, you know, talking about the scripture, and, and one, and I'm not getting into some big discussion about this this morning. Um, so, you know, they were smoking weed before it was legal. I'm not getting into discussion. And they would, their basic thing was, well, it doesn't say in the Bible you can't smoke weed. And I'm thinking, well, there's wisdom in the Bible. The Bible does talk about wisdom. But, I, I, but, but the point of that discussion is that they were looking to the scripture for wrong things. They were just looking for the scripture to be a rule book. Well, I want permission for this, and if this is giving me permission, then I could do this, and then so, but, but that's not actually life. That's not actually being in a relationship with somebody. It's not trying to, um, in the context of a marriage, it would not be wise for any men in the house you, you would never go to your wife and say, you know, honey, the Bible doesn't actually say that I, I can't just hang out with other women. Would you mind if I just hang out? See, your, people are already laughing because it's a ridiculous notion. And it's the same notion that we would say, well, the Bible doesn't say that I can't do this. Well, you're missing the point of the relationship. You're not trying to walk as close to the line of the fire to, well, I didn't break any rules, I didn't cross the line, but you're missing the heart of the relationship. You're missing the heart of the love relationship. Now, don't get me wrong, rules are important and necessary. And and if we think about the scripture itself, how it's laid out for us, that the, the first part, the Old Testament, what is it called? It's called the law. And when you are growing up, when you are a child, when you are a baby as you grow, you need your parents to tell you no. You can't do this. And that's pretty much all children when they're young that they understand. You just got to give them a hard no. And then they're going to be like, why? And you're going to be like, no. And, and it, you know, if you ever, it, you've tried this, and then you, when you get older, and you see sometimes people trying to reason with toddlers. It's an impossible situation, friends. I just want to explain to you, honey, that you, you can't do this because blah, 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 blah. You're, you're not convinced. They don't even understand half of the words you're saying. But what they understand is No. And if you contravene the no, there will be punishment. This is how life works. Amen. It is. It just is. It's how life works. And you need that 
when you're a child. You need the laws. You need to know what the laws are. You need to know where the boundaries are. We see this in the Old Testament. This is the law. When we get to the New Testament, it's a whole different way of teaching. It's a whole different approach. Not that the law is gone, but it's a whole different approach to life. See, when we think about the Old Testament, and, and this would be true today, laws define life by what you should exclude. You can't do this, don't do this, no to this. But how many of you know that's not very inspiring? Any lawyers in the house, any lawyers watching online, we love you. You're just not that inspiring. You just tell us what we can't do. You can't do this, you can't do this, and you can't, we're going to write it down. We're going to write it down just to let you know what you can't do. Well, that's boring. That's no way to live. There's no inspiration. But then the New Covenant, the New Testament, defines life by how you should live by inspiration. Famous golden rule, what does it say? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Laws are don't. Inspiration says do. And this is what we look to Jesus for. How to be inspired to live. Do unto others. This is what love looks like. Here's the action of love, and this is the new covenant. It's about doing. It's about acting. It's about being in a relationship with God and then taking what God is and then living it out, living by inspiration, breathing the words of God in and then living them out. So I'm not coming to the Scripture anymore and saying, well, does the Bible say I can do this? Does the Bible say I can do that? No, I want to be inspired how to live. See, everybody needs a why to live. Everybody needs a why and then a how to do that Why? And this is what being mentored by Jesus is all about. That he gives us a why. He mentors us in faith, in courage, in leadership, in sacrifice, in love, in relationships, in all their forms, in handling of opposition, dealing with betrayal, forgiveness, wisdom, faithfulness. And all of what I just said is found in the Gospels. So that's what I'm going to be inspired by. As I look at the life of Jesus, I see how he dealt with all of these real life issues. And then I'm inspired by my Lord to live that way. Because culture will offer you something else. And the road down the way culture is offering us now is death. But what I just read, all of the things that I just read, see, the world has a way to do all of those things. But our Lord and Savior objectively offers us a better way. That's what we need to look for. We need to go, one of, my, one of the best advices, pieces of advice that I ever got from one of my Bible school professors. He just said, read the Gospels over and over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and go back to Matthew. And he said, each time you go through, you'll see something different. And what would we see? We would see ways to live. Inspiration to take and incorporate into us so that we can 
live it out. So we need to discover the life that God is leading me into. Amen. Can I get an amen this morning? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring back to what he had just talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, just all of the men and women of the Old Testament and how they live by faith, that's the cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run. Live our lives. There's something that's set before us. Your rabbi Jesus, the ultimate mentor that has ever lived, wants you to run your race. My race is not the same as your race, and your race is not the same as my race. But collectively, as we are revived, we can inspire each other. So, once again, we refer back to Cynthia and how beautiful that moment was, and that she shared with us her pain. But then she shared with us her journey of faith. And from that, we all can be inspired. Anybody else that suffered loss in 2020, we can be inspired by what God has done through Cynthia's life. Then we can run our race. We can have wind in our sails. I can know there's one great key how to deal with grief. The ongoing feelings of grief. What are we going to do? We're going to come to God. I'm going to sing, I love you, Lord, with the tears running down our face. I'm going to run my race with endurance, the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. This is what we do. This is what... Christians do. Christ is in our name, which means Jesus is, is how we call ourselves, how we identify ourselves. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne in God. All inspiring words. See, what I read there, there's, there's, not, there's not legalism in there. There's not angry uh, thinking, well, I think you know, God is mad at me because I broke one of his laws. No, there's a way to live based on what we just read. That there's joy set in front of me beyond the pain, the cross. Jesus, our example. The ultimate betrayal the ultimate pain, the ultimate way to die. He suffered. We suffer in life. What should we do? Well, we should do what our Lord did. He saw beyond the cross, saw beyond the suffering. We know that God is going to take us beyond the suffering. That's how we should live our lives. Jesus is showing that to us. The founder and the perfecter, he started something in us. Scripture in Philippians chapter, I forget two I want to say. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Jesus has started something in you. Don't go off the rails. Don't quit based on the circumstances, based on struggle. He's perfecting something in us. He's sanctifying us. He's setting us apart. 
for a life to live in Him. He's shaping our lives. He's molding me. Jesus, my Lord. Small word, big meaning. We'll finish with this part. What is He? Is our Lord, and He's our Savior. What does it mean to have a Savior? One of my favorite verses here in John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This, what he's about to say, is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Relational terms. Not Lord and Savior, some angry figurehead somewhere else, away in a distant place. But this is eternal life, Jesus says. Well, what is eternal life? That you would know God and you would know Jesus. Not know about God and not know about Jesus, but you would actually know them. That we would be married to him. That we would be in a love relationship with him. And this is what eternal life looks like. This is eternal life. How powerful are those words? This is what, not just a, a length of life, but life as it was intended to be lived. That we would know God, we would know who he is, and, and we would know his character, and we would know his promises, and we would know his intentions towards us. And how would we know all of that? Well, we would know Jesus. We could see what Jesus did and how he lived his life and how he sacrificed himself for me. And I drive my kids crazy with it every time. But this is why in all of the movies that are trying to show love, that the ultimate way you show love is you sacrifice yourself for somebody else. And I've... I've driven them crazy with it because they know what's coming. Now they, I've trained their eyes to see it. And I turn to them in the movie. I'm like, I'm about to say sacrificial love. And they're like, I know, Dad, sacrificial love. But that's how we know God loves us. And this is the place that God wants us to live from, our Lord and our Savior. He wants us to be just the base part of who we are, the starting place for our lives. He loves us so much. And then he invites us to love him back. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. These visions that John has about Jesus, and he's talking to these churches. I believe this is to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, found them, found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. It's a good description of 2020 right there. There's a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty, a lot of struggle. But then he says this, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
One translation says, do you abandon your first love? See, and this is where all of us start out with God. Once we understand that the sacrifice made for us was the sacrifice of love, when somebody loves you, it's hard not to love them back. This is why it's easy for teenagers to get in wrong relationships sometime, but we're not going to get off on that right now. If somebody loves you, oh my gosh, I love them too. Well, you might not love them. You just feel the thing, you know. But here, here God loves us. And then he talks to this church, like, this happened and this happened. You've gone through this. And life can get hard and life can get difficult. And you can get trapped focusing on just one thing, just one idea. And then in all of that, what could happen? We could abandon our first love. And this is what God wants us to bring us all back to this morning. Whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, if you are a follower of Jesus today, God wants us to revive our love for him. bring it back to the basics what Cynthia told us we should sing what should we sing I love you Lord in the midst of the pain in the midst of the struggle I love you Lord I know that you suffered the ultimate pain that you sacrificed yourself for me and this is why you're the only one that deserves to be my Lord you're the only one that deserves that rightful place on the throne of my heart. And he's there, and what does he, how does he want us to come to him? Well, I need more, I need more rules, Jesus. Just tell me the rules, and I'll follow them. No, he wants us to be married to him. He wants us to be in a loving relationship with him. And then in that context of that loving relationship... He's going to mentor us, and he's going to contradict us, and he's going to tell us how to live, and he's like, hey, I love you like nobody else loves you, but I want you to know that that thing you're doing right now, you're messing up your life. I want you to choose another way, and in the context of love, that's the easiest thing to hear. Revive our love been a struggle. It's been a, it's been a hard road this year. And there could be some things packed on top of the love that we used to feel for Jesus. But he wants us to revive our love this morning. See, he has never abandoned his love for you. See, and our love for him comes from that. It's a response from that idea. We love because he first loved us. Love's never ending. It's never changing. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away when you have a bad day. It doesn't go away when you have a good day. It's there's love and it's constant and it remains. His love remains. People's love, it comes and goes. But his love remains. Let's revive our love for the one who loves us most. 
We're going to receive communion for everybody at home. If somebody backstage want to grab me, I forgot to bring out Tyler. Could you go grab me some communion elements, please? So used to not being able to do this in this moment. But then I'm going to read these verses before receive communion. And this is the very last thing that Jesus talked to his disciples about. And I would think that this is so important. So when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to him, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat until the fruit fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Thank you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the cup, they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So what is Jesus talking about here? When he's, he's obviously talking about himself going to the cross, and then he's there with them, but he's saying, well, when I'm not here with you, this is what I want you to do. And then, and then when you hold the bread, he was, he's like, I want you to do this and remember me, that when you hold the bread and you're thinking about me, you're going to remember that I sacrificed myself for you. And you're going to remember that this is a representation of my love for you. Do this to remember me. That his body was broken so that we could receive healing. The scripture says that by his stripes we are healed. What are the stripes? That his body, he took a whipping on his back. And the stripes of blood that we saw through the skin says that his brokenness means my healing. And as we hold the bread, we're supposed to remember that that's what it means. That he loves us so much that he made a way for us. Scripture also talks about the healing of the brokenhearted. The only one that can heal human hearts is the one who made them. So we can come to God if we're feeling emotional, relational pain today. And he can pour in his healing power. So as you are there at home with me, let's just pray today. Father God, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that he took stripes on his back so we could receive your healing power. So today, Lord, in the room and watching online, we receive your healing power today for, for our bodies from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. God, we receive healing for our broken hearts this morning. That we just open ourselves wide up to your spirits, to your spirit, Lord, that you would come in and you would heal us. That you would make us new, that you would resurrect us. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's eat together. And then he's holding the cup. He said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. The old covenant. Here, you got to follow these rules. You got to do this. The new covenant is Jesus makes a way for us. 
the sacrifice, his blood poured out. Scripture says where there's no shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, that when we receive the sacrifice of Jesus, what are we saying? That my sins are washed away. The thing that separates me from God is now gone away and I can be in a relationship with God. Aren't you thankful for forgiveness today? The juice reminds us that our sins are washed away. Let's just pray this morning. God, we just thank you today for your righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you we can be in a relationship with you. We remind ourselves today, because of the blood of Jesus, your forgiving power is available to us. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins, that our past is washed away. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's drink together. Hey, if you are here in the room or you're watching us online, we've been talking about this relationship with God today. If you have never taken that first step in your relationship with God by saying yes to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer here in a second. I invite you to pray along with me. The gospel, the good news is all about Jesus. That he came and he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. God raised him from the dead so that we can actually have a relationship with God. And that's what God does. He offers us a gift, a gift of his own righteousness. See, we don't achieve righteousness by being perfectly moral agents because we aren't. We don't achieve righteousness by creating some sort of religion and then offering it to God and saying, okay, God, because I did this, can I receive a relationship with you? No, he offers it to us. And all we have to do is say yes. So church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. And if you're watching online, you pray along with us as well. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, and you raised him from the dead so that I could know you. So today I say yes to your righteousness. I say yes to a relationship with you. God, I call you my Father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways and turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at citychurchgta. Thanks again for joining us.